Free Guy, which has been one of the big hits of this summer of 2021 as box office numbers slowly return post-pandemic or mid-pandemic or whenever we are in the pandemic. And Free Guy is a completely original film. The director and co-writer and producer of the film, Sean Levy, is my guest. Sean has a massive resume. He's produced all kinds of projects you've seen and loved of all variety, from Arrival to Stranger Things. 21 Laps, his company, is prolific, and they're known throughout town for just being a good place to work and good people. And Sean provides, in our interview today, some really great stuff about approaching failure, humility, understanding what your role in this industry can be, understanding what your strengths are, how you identify those kinds of things and build on them. There are really very few people better than Sean to talk about identifying strengths, weaknesses, and building on it because he's done exactly that for a very long time. Plus, he you know got some advice on directing from Steven Spielberg once, which he nestles in here nicely among all the other pearls of wisdom he drops. So check it out. Thanks so much for coming. I saw Free Guy. I really loved it. It's there's so much to talk about there, but you've had a prolific career in film and television. And because at No Film School, we're always curious to talk to people about how they got started and sort of what yeah. their initial inspirations were to, to follow the path and, and how they made manifested that reality. And looking at all you've done, I just feel like we have to start there. <laughs> so oh, I'm, I'm happy to start there. It's such a big question because, you know, the main thing for everyone who's listening to us blather on, the, the main thing for everyone to know is, you know, as what I think we all know is there's no one way, right? I kind of, I think of that catchphrase from Mandalorian, <laughs> this is the way. Yeah. But the truth is when it comes to filmmaking and a career in any of the filmmaking crafts, there is no way. There's certainly no one way. So for me, you know, I, I grew up in Canada. I was always a theater kid. So lots of theater in high school. I weirdly and somewhat arbitrarily, when I was quite young, like 11-ish, I asked a theater teacher, hey, what's the best school to go to for theater? And they said, that would be Yale. So I'm like, okay, guess I'm going to Yale. <laughs> and so I basically, like, even though I had the hair of a Steve Harrington in high school, <laughs> I was basically the nerd who was like, nope, can't hang out, dudes. I got to go do my homework so I can get into Yale. Like, that was literally my... Slightly shameful uh, experience. What's hilarious about that is I'm going to, I, I need to get into Yale for theater, <laughs> even though yeah, Yale does have a legendary theater school. Yes. No, but like, and, and it was clear, like, oh, the, the way, the only way, is, short of being an athlete, maybe, that you're getting into Yale is if your grades are really, really good. So I just busted tail. I just, I was always a grinder and uh, I was always willing. Like I was never deluded about my natural gifts. I know I have some. And thank God a lot of them line up well with the job of being a director because a lot of them line up with just leadership. And so much of directing is, is about just kind of leadership abilities. But for me, it was like, okay, I'm not necessarily going to be the most brilliant. I don't presume to be the smartest and best. So 
I'm, I'm just going to outwork everyone. And I'm certainly going to be willing to outwork everyone. So a lot of work, went to Yale, moved out to LA like two weeks after I graduated. And, and I, I, I kind of dabbled in acting for a bit. I had a recurring role on Beverly Hills, 90210. And I did 21 Jump Street and a lot of old school kind of guest spots and series. But then I went to film school. I applied to USC. And so I, I was, I, I was a film school person because for me, for me, and boy, I think I've taken the long road to this answer. I really apologize. No, this is good. Um, but, but for me, right? Like A, this was mid nineties. So not what we have now, which is the kind of slightly more democratized availability of tools. Absolutely. Right yeah. now, now anybody can write and make a short film. Anybody with a cell phone, you don't need wealth, you don't need connections, you can make it and you can post it and you can share it. In the 90s, A, that didn't exist. And B, I was always, frankly, back to the, the nerd who was kind of always trying to ace their test to get into Yale. I was always a bit of a system guy. And, and ironically, my career is very much a Hollywood system career. So for me, I recognize, oh, I'm not the renegade who's going to be able to go scrape together enough buddies and dollars to make a short on my own. I will benefit from infrastructure. So for me, film school, graduate film school gave me technical knowledge of which I had none and a lot of knowledge about acting and directing actors and dramaturgy and storytelling, but no cinema, craft, tech knowledge. And USC gave me that. And above all, it gave me an infrastructure to make things because literally three weeks in, you're making your first short and it is sink or swim. And that's a lot of how I learned the most important lessons. There's so much good stuff in the answer I need to follow up on. I'm, so I'm going to go through in order. You mentioned quickly the idea of there's a theme in your whole answer that's like knowing thyself and and understanding your and and your ability. It sounds like to do that in your younger days. That's something that a lot of people don't have to recognize what they are I'm and they so are. So happy, yeah. I'm so happy that you're flagging this because this is something that I've tried to teach. I have four daughters of you know ages ten to twenty one. So like you know, I'm always kind of trying to think of okay, how do I want to arm them for the world. And similarly, when I speak at film schools or I speak at, you know, you know, symposiums or festivals, whatever, this is key. The people who I've met who are lost in this life are the ones who are incapable or unwilling to know thyself, to see oneself with clarity, with sometimes harsh clarity. Because here's the thing, everyone, dreaming of who you want to be, that's the easy part. <laughs> Dreaming is easy, but you need and you benefit, in my opinion, from looking at, okay, like, right, I know we're a podcast, so you can't see me, but like here on one hand is who I dream of being. But it's critically important to, in the other hand, look at what are the abilities and natural skills and talents that I have and how does who I want to be align with who I am and where is that intersection so that I can set a goal that is achievable yeah. and not based on nothing more than the dream. That's just so well said. And it's so 
hard sometimes to reconcile what parts of the dream we aren't, but then to find the parts that we are. But this is some well, serious I'll give wisdom. You a perfect example. Yeah. Perfect example. Like when I was at Yale, man, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to, that was my path was being an actor. And I went to Yale with Paul Giamatti. Wow. <laughs> and literally from age 17, I was doing plays with Paul Giamatti. And I remember being like 18, 19, literally being on stage with Paul. He was, we were doing Who's Afraid, uh, excuse me, we also did Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. We were doing One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He was McMurphy and I was Billy Bibbon. And I remember <laughs> being in the scene. I remember literally being on stage and while I'm doing my lines, I remember thinking, oh man, okay, that's what great looks like. <laughs> Paul is great. And it was so clear. And I knew that even though I was pretty good, I wasn't great. I was always a little too self-conscious to be great. And so that was tough, right? Yeah. Like I wanted to be an actor, but you need those kind of moments where you, you kind of have small heartbreaks. How did you, I, this is an amazing story. There's something I want to follow up on, but I have to share just to connect dots. I I went to high school with Simon Helberg, who is on um, The Big yep. Bang Theory, yep. among other things. We were in plays together. I remember we were in The Importance of Being Earnest together. We were the co-leads. I wanted to be an actor in mm -hmm. high school, too. And I remember he entered on stage. He had not, I'd done more acting, I think, at that point in time. He walked on stage, and the audience just lost it, just looking yeah. at him, just his little takes. And I was looking at it, and I was like, oh. That's like, yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> I think I knew, but I wish I'd had the presence of mind that you had because it's very hard to accept. And I mean, eventually I found my way to wherever I am, but like that, that's a real thing to recognize. Oh, no, it, it, well, that's a real, well, there's two things that are real things in your anecdote. One is, you know what? Real, like real talent, that X factor, that special sauce, it's real. It's freaking real. And you feel it when you're in the presence of it. And the other thing is, you know, you, those moments are always a little crushing, <laughs> but I'm, I, I share this, like, I want that to be normalized. Yes. I want everyone who's listening to know, like, yeah, man, like it's going to break your heart for a little, you know, for, for more than a moment, because the moments where we realize uh, that, that, that our path is not what we thought, they're hard, but on the other side of hard, is a chance at greatness. On the other side of heart is a chance at greatness. And I, I, I'll share a related anecdote. When I was doing Night at the Museum, so I did Night at the Museum, changed my life. And I remember talking to Chris Columbus after Night at the Museum came out because he was one of the producers. And Chris, when I was coming up, Chris was the god of family comedy. And suddenly, I was the new king <laughs> of family comedy. Right? Yeah. And, and I remember saying to Chris, like, no, man, but like, I want to do dramas. Like I want to do like edgy, dramatic, fair. And I remember him saying to me, why are you running from the thing that comes naturally? You're dismissive of the thing that you can do that almost no one can do. Don't run away from it. Someday, hopefully you'll learn to cherish it. I remember this because I was like mid thirties and and, and I did, I didn't understand what he was saying. And it's taken me a lot of years and, you know, like seven or eight more movies. <laughs> you know, I look at free guy and I'm like, 
okay, you know what, man? Like, I know how to do this. And, and to work with Ryan on Free Guy where... Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Quite honestly, I Ryan was counting on me for my superpowers, and my superpowers are in that intersection between funny and warm. That is what I do. Like it took me a lot of years, but I always think about that Chris Columbus wisdom and about sometimes you have an idea of yourself, but you gotta reconcile it with who you are and what you can be. See, there's I was gonna go to Free Guy immediately too, not just because it's. It's the one that's coming out, but because in watching it, I thought, I've thought about this idea, and I'm sure a lot of people have. This is a a great high concept thing. What if an NPC comes to life or has identity? And watching Free Guy, I kept thinking, they chose a way to do this, a, a plot to hang this story on, a heart to give it that works in a very specific way. There, with all the buffet choices of how to handle it, like there's an existential dread version. There's a, there's so many versions. You picked a four quadrant version, I would say, right? And also, like you know, a, a warm. And talking about Ryan Reynolds, like especially in like the second act and and some of the comedy, like he plays it so well. And you guys capture those those situational com comedic moments so well. Uh, the, the Channing Tatum cameo, etc. They're just like. Like, I want to know more about how you, like, talking deep in the craft, like, how you approach those sequences. But that's you, right? That's you saying, like, this is the version of this that I can excel at. This is, that's so, this is a really good interview. (laughs) Thank you. You're you're perceptive, but you're also intuitive. And this is such an important lesson. And I've really, it's taken me years to articulate it. When you read a script, any filmmaker reads a script, there's infinitely possible versions of that story. I remember once saying to Spielberg, who was my producer on Real Steel, I was like, how do you know it's the right shot? Uh, when I'm lining up a shot, like, how do I know it's the right shot? And his answer was, because that's how you see it. Wow. How you see it makes it right. Wow. And <laughs> so this is, I know, man, I could we could go for three hours and I would still not get to the end of my stories because I love this job and I love talking to people who love this craft. And so with Ryan and I, I mean, here's the, the, I'll try and be concise. I had read Free Guy four years ago, five years ago, and I passed because the script was good. It had this huge central idea, but it was a gamer wet dream of a film. (laughs) Can you tell me how different the plot was that served that, but wasn't your version? Well, the plot was always NPC gains consciousness, wants to affect change in his dystopian world by being the good guy. 
that was the same. But I, but it didn't make me feel that much. It didn't make me laugh that much. And it was a very good script with a massive idea. And, and yet I, I remember saying, you know what? This should be made by a hardcore gamer. I'm going to pass. Two, three years pass. Ryan calls me. He's like, I read this thing. Have you read it? And I do what you should do when the movie star calls, which I lied a bit. I absolutely <laughs> lied. I said, no, huh? Really? Hmm, no. Let me check it out. And then I went to meet with him because, by the way, landing an actor for your movie, it, it, it always comes down to 20 minutes across the table. Wow. That's like, that's a truism I'll give all the aspiring filmmakers. It's about what can you do with 20 minutes across the table? Because you have 20 minutes to inspire millions of dollars of trust and confidence. So that's what they will never teach in film school. Amazing. How can you use your words, your persona, your vision, and convey it in a way that is compelling enough for that movie star or that money to bet on you? Amazing to hear that, though, because even knowing the industry, as I do, it's still thinking of you and your track record. It's amazing that you'd still go, that everybody knows that at every level you have to go into some situations and be like, I have 20 minutes to, to win this budget. It's, it never quite goes away. Sure, the game comes to you a lot more when you've had a bunch of hits, but there's always those moments. And, and to answer your question, Ryan said to me, he goes, look, I think this is a massive concept and I think you will be able to flex filmmaker cinematic muscles that are that are that you have never had a chance to flex on the world in quite this way. And he was right. But then he said the part that mattered. He goes, I want to take this idea and I want to use it as a metaphor. I want to make a movie that is about personal empowerment, questioning the role you've been given in your life, and who do you want to be? Because that's a humanist idea. That's an everybody yearning to step out of the background and to be more than what's expected of you. And when Ryan said that, I literally, I was like, I'm in, done. And then we spent damn near a year rewriting the script to take this video game premise and use it as, as we've used the expression, like a Trojan horse to kind of smuggle in a movie that's actually a feel good, thematically rich movie about the individual and about questioning the roles we play in our world. That has nothing to do with gaming, but has everything to do with being human. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing that I that jumped out at me was early on watching it and thinking, oh, this is kind of about the coders. I get it, didn't go in thinking it was going to be kind of about them. And then thinking, oh, this is about what kind of marketplace they're creating their art for, which is really fascinating regard, for a filmmaker yes, thinking about the regard, yeah. It's really, it was very self-consciously so, yeah. right? Like the characters that Utkarsh and Butkar and Joe Keery and, and Jodie Comer play, they're in the real world. They're coders, they're creatives. They're the kind of surrogates for filmmakers. Yeah. And you have Taika Waititi who plays the head of the game's studio or insert Hollywood studio, literally kind of espousing the franchise IP culture and mocking the value of original creativity. And so it was our kind of way of, and by the way, that story, the real world story, was always as important as the inside the game story. We knew the movie would get marketed yeah. as NPC come to life, 
but half the movies in the real world without Ryan Reynolds. Mm -hmm. And we knew that we needed to cast and write and direct those scenes as strongly as the fun and games and mayhem in the game. And yeah, because yeah, the fun and games, that's, that's exactly <laughs> those sections of it. Uh, it reminded me not just of the filmmaker world where there's numbers versus art. It reminded me of any industry I've been in, which there are many, where there's a question of quality versus numbers. I mean, in the, I work in the internet, clicks, you know, page views, yeah. like things that are just like, do we care about numbers? Do we care about quality? Do we care about a message? Do we care about data at the end of the day? Uh, it's all there. Um, well, and you literally have, yeah, I'm going to quote a line we wrote for Taika where like Joe Keery, the creative says, what, you know, has it ever occurred to you that some things matter more than numbers? And literally Taika goes, yo, newsflash, bro. What matters more than numbers? Money? Money is still numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I it's like, like that. that, that, that kind of that myopic uh -huh. chieftain point of view that I have encountered for a decade plus at the studios where making a big budget new movie is increasingly rare yeah. and increasingly therefore a privilege. And I'd like to think that there will always be a place for and an audience for the new. I, yeah, I hope so too. It was really nice to see a big canvas of a original concept like this explored that had metaphor to, you know, in connection to real life stuff. I want to ask you about directing because we talked a little bit about writing, but you've been a director, obviously, and, and you there's a way you talked about director skill sets you recognized in yourself. And what director skill sets exist is hard sometimes to explain, to teach, to learn. And every direct setting is different. But, you know, what can you impart about the skills you recognized in yourself early on that were like, oh, I might have some of those director skills. And then also like, how do they manifest, you know, day to day on, you know, directing these scenes and helping these actors? I mean, this is a visual effects I mean, heavy film, a, you know? That, that's a big, that's a big question. So let me try and, um, one of the great joys of the last decade of my career is producing so much that I don't direct, whether it's a rival or Shadow and Bone, or Stranger Things. I love that it's given me opportunities to watch and collaborate with other directors. And what it's taught me is everybody does it different. There are directors who are way more soft-spoken than I happen to be. There's directors who are way more visual and reliant on, let's say, storyboards than I am. So there's no one way. It's kind of back to that theme. There is no one way. So, but I will say this is a unifier. This is a universal truth of successful directors. There must be leadership. And to be an effective leader, yes, it helps if you have talent and it helps if you have a specific vision. But you, what you need is decisive leadership. Because to be on a set where there is a lack of leadership skills, what you see happening, and I've seen it, thankfully not on any of the examples I just gave you, <laughs> is you have a crew and you have a cast that feels the vacuum and then fills the vacuum. And so to me, maybe the most important thing is be clear about what you want. It doesn't mean you know 
how to do the visual effects to achieve it. It doesn't mean you can draw that storyboard panel yourself, but you must be a decisive leader. That to me is critical. And whether it's a gentle, quiet soul like Denis Villeneuve, with whom I work on Arrival, or it's, you know, full on, like, encyclopedic movie nerds like the Duffer Brothers, (laughs) or it's my way. The the way you do it matters less than the fact that it gets done. The absence of leadership is a problem. And so I would just say, being clear about what you want, and then in whatever language is yours, ask for what you want. Lead, Lead and convey that vision. So I would say that, and, you know, if you want me to connect it to Free Guy, for instance, you know, what I learned on the Night at the Museum movie is I learned a big time on Real Steel and I use these skills immensely on Free Guy. My job is to impart clarity to my actors and my crew and then to make my actors better. That's my job. That's my job. And one thing I want to point out is someone else is going to help you light it. Mm-hmm. Someone else is going to help you edit it. Someone else is going to record the sound. Someone else is probably going to score it. There's one job that nobody is even allowed to help you with as a director, and that is your actors. Mm. So my huge advice is don't view actors as this foreign species with a different language. Learn their language. Learn their language. Either go audit an acting class or hang out with actors or just make things and learn the, the access points of actors. But for me, with VFX, when I have Ryan Reynolds and Jody Comer in a soundstage, and half of what they're reacting to isn't there, it's my job to convey viscerally what they're reacting to. And I do that in a variety of ways that we can take a deeper dive into, but this is what we do every day on Stranger Things with visual effects. It's a a really important skill is find a way to put your actors in the mood and the moment that they need to be to be great. You're reminding me of something I remember David Mamet wrote, I think, in On Directing, where he was like, there's only really two things you decide is where to put the camera and what to tell the actors. And even where to put the camera, I think, sometimes drifts into collaboration. But you've echoed both of those things in this because you mentioned, obviously, the actors. And earlier, with directness and clarity, you said Steven Spielberg himself told you, like, it's right because it's where you put it. It's where you see it. Like, that's how you know it's right. So that decisiveness and decision-making, but also like being clear with your talent. Those are, those are hallmarks of it. I, yeah, I was, I gotta say like, it's not what I thought seeing a movie like free guy, but I was struck by the performances, (laughs) especially like the comedic timing. I mean, I know Ryan Reynolds is funny and yet it reminded me of the way you, you guys played out those scenes, those situations where there's multiple layers of knowledge, like, you know, he doesn't yes. know that there's a gamer puppeteering Channing Tatum, and we do. And that creates dramatic irony and humor. And it, there's just such clean execution, you know? Well, I really appreciate that. And the truth is, some, I won't name names, but I know many director friends who are like, man, just get me to the edit room. Just get me to the edit room. I am so happy being alone in the dark with my editor reshaping things. I know other directors who love when they're drawing their storyboard panels. For me, and this goes back to where we started, this is my theater background. Mm. I love my actors. And the reason that if you look at any of my movies, you know, especially in like the museum Mm -hmm. movies and date night, for instance, I cast every part 
up because I want to go to work every day with actors that I revere. So that's how like in date night, you have people like Kristen Wiig and Mark Ruffalo yes. and you know, like, you know, Wahlberg and, and Mila Kunis and Franco, like playing small roles, playing supporting roles. I love same thing in muse- in the museum films, all three of them. Like that's the fun part for me. It's a language I grew up knowing. Yeah. So it's, I have fluency in it. But I can't tell you, especially if this is something that, you know, is listened to by filmmakers and aspiring filmmakers, to those of you who are kind of coming up, actors and directing actors is the most undertaught aspect of directing. So you got to make sure you gain fluency in that because nobody can do that job with, for, or alongside you. That's on you. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about it, and it's true. They're like date night, great example. And I, they, these are just busting at the seams with actors who are like, who are names and talented, well cast or interestingly cast, but they're also like they're really giving you something in these performances. And I've heard a lot of people in the industry talk about. They always highlight the most important thing is character, and obviously, character is really important. But sometimes I think isn't acting like isn't it the casting then and the performer because that's the only way the character comes to life and sometimes and 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 it's the coalescence of the two you know i'll give you uh, again just to give props where i i see them you know every day on stranger things for instance uh, everybody knows the duffers are really talented but one of their actual biggest superpowers is they are exceptional writers, right? That's a known fact. But here's what they can, here's what they do. And it's remarkable because they're rigorous, rigorous writers. They're able to recognize once they cast, when there is an actor who has something genuinely singular and unique. And then they will reshape the character around the superpower of the actor. They've done it notably with Joe Keery with Maya Hawk, with Gaten Matarazzo, like they recognize on an intuitive level and they are not what you would call actor directors. They had no actor language <laughs> when they started. <laughs> they've learned it, Through the writing. but what they always knew was, here's the character in one hand, here's the ethos of the actor in the other hand. What's on screen is the mashup of both. And that's always the magic trick you're trying to pull. Yeah, I think that's the secret sauce that's missing when I think about it. When people say it's about characters, I think, yeah, but there's something else. And I think that's the secret sauce. And you're right about Stranger Things. What you guys as a team have done there, I love when this happens. When we first saw Stranger Things, many of those actors and act we had not seen before. The kids, obviously, but even many of the uh, the, te- the adults, like we hadn't seen before yes. or seen in roles like that. And within, after one season, they all became almost archetypal. They all became people. I'm going to give you a great example, like, because he's, you know, in season four, I've spent a lot of the last year directing Brett Gelman as Murray. Yeah, exactly. Right? He's a good example. Like, <laughs> Murray is a freaking legend now. <laughs> Murray is an icon. And every season, his parts get bigger because the Duffers reward strength with content. Yeah. And this is like the law on our show. I love if it. you do great work, wait till next season scripts because you're going to be fed. We feed the mighty and they get fed with great duff for writing. And so anyway, he's a perfect example of a of a 40-year-old actor who probably done a ton of stuff before any of us knew him. But 
he's now iconic on Stranger Things. So anyway, that that character meets actor, mm, that kind of that magic, that amalgamation. That's that's what you hope. And you and just across the board in that show, like you built these 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 characters archetypes. Even in small roles where they die, they become memes. They become like they become icons because you. Well, just go. Just ask Bob and Barb. <laughs> Bob and Barb, and, and and while we're while we're doing the B names, Billy. Right. Oh, Billy is another one where I was like, I've seen this so many times, but the way the casting there and what you melded between the performer you got, the character that was created, suddenly you built something brand new, familiar, and iconic. That just like with Joe Keery, yeah. It's it's. Uh, I mean, Maddie Cardo. I, I always forget how to pronounce his last name. I know. I, I I do too. But like Maddie is special, and obviously, I love Maddie so much from Stranger Things that he makes an appearance in Free yeah. Guy. And you know, I'll just I want to share this anecdote because it it's I've I always referred to it as part of what I loved about Free Guy, and then. What Ryan and I would sit in the edit room on Free Guy because we produced the movie together too. And we would watch the movie, cut the movie, recut the movie, but we would come up with ideas. And we're watching these Channing Tatum scenes. <laughs> and we're like, these are funny. <laughs> but how could it be funnier? How could it be funnier? And we came up with this idea that, well, wait a second. If Channing's character is an avatar, who is this like hyper <laughs> male sexualized uh, <laughs> avatar character, what if his player <laughs> sitting at home is, with all due respect, the opposite? <laughs> right? like, literally like a 20-something dude living at home still, a little annoyed with his mom, his mom annoyed with him, but he's living aspirationally through the fact that Channing Tatum is his And avatar. it tied into your theme and, beautifully, right? Right, now get this. That wasn't in the script. Wow, yeah. So literally, that was, Ryan and I were like, Okay, wait a second. Oh, you know who'd be perfect? I go, Keith from Stranger Things. And he's like, oh my God, that would be a dream. So guess what? I called Maddie. I said, Maddie, can you come by this abandoned office building on the 20th Century Fox lot on Saturday? I'm going to shoot you with a red camera doing improvised lines that me and Ryan are going to make up and throw at you. And I want to just cut it into the movie to see if it's funny. Maddie shows up. We shoot this with a crew of three of oh, us. Oh, man. Okay? Three of us. We put it in the movie. It murders comedically, and that's in the release version of Free Guy coming out tonight. Those are the scenes you shot with the red? Those are the <laughs> scenes that we shot with the red in an abandoned office. We literally had so little crew that we put up like a Deadpool poster in the background because it's all we could that's find. That's funny. That's amazing. That's like that's like at, on this epic scale of filmmaking you were on, like real DIY filmmaker stuff. That's why I wanted to <laughs> share this with you because literally the DIY low rent homemade spirit that gets us into this job, it never goes away. And if we're lucky, it never goes that's away. That's so amazing. And your guys' ability to recognize that in the Channing scene. I, I, I remember thinking, I was like, I wonder where they made up the rules of like, you know, he talks in this voice in the video game world. But then when we cut the, the, the contrast just between his intonations, like Maddie was yes. so flat, you know, it was just 
I mean, it, I feel like you guys pulled that off beautifully. It was one of the highlights. of Well, the my, and, and our greatest pride is that we pulled it off with three of us on a Saturday. <laughs> Did you have Ryan hold the boom or something? <laughs> it, it was damn near that. It was damn near that. I mean, anyway, and there's about six or seven examples of that. I'm, I'm cognizant of the time, yes. but I probably have less than five minutes left. And But I really could happily talk to you for a long time. No, this has been one of the most fun. I, this has just been a joy. And you you bring so much willing educational, experiential knowledge. I mean, if you, I, I feel like usually I end with asking people if there's something you would advise, but you've advised, you've already given us a lot of, of stuff to, to look at and think about in doing. I guess my question is, you have so much, you've got Stranger Things, you've got this coming out, and I'm curious, how do you pick the projects? Like, how do you decide this is what I'm going to direct? This is what I'm going to do next with my time? Like you- that's, a, that's a great question. I pick projects based on if it's something that I think will entertain and speak to a lot of people, I pick it to produce. If it's something that speaks to me uh, and is saying something that I really fundamentally believe in and want to get into the world, whether that's a feeling, an idea, or an aspiration, those are the ones I direct. Like I knew based on the short story that story of your life, which became a rival was a, was a genuinely magnificent special project. Yeah. But I also knew that there were better filmmakers for that material. I only direct the things that I feel my take, my tone, my vision, my voice mm. will make unique. And Free Guy is the best example. There are 30 other versions of yeah. Free Guy that you and I can imagine. And and many of them would be viable and good. But none of them would be the Sean Levy version of Free Guy, which is very intentionally laced with a lot of comedy and in equal measure, a lot of heart. Yeah. That is, if there's any unifying trait that I try to carry from movie to movie, and I've now just finished shooting my 13th movie, it's that combination of the comedic and the heartfelt. Yeah, well, that's very well said, and it circles back because it's again, it's just know thyself, like <laughs> like know what you. That might be the best advice that we could give. Yeah. Truly, you know, the dream is worth it. Trust me, take it from me. I've done this job now a while, and it's as awesome as everyone pictures. <laughs> it's really, it's really fun. It's as fun as we all imagine when we're coming up. But you gotta be able to know yourself, see yourself. And find your path based on what's in you, because that's where you have a chance of pulling it off. Well, thank you again so much. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Sean for coming on. Really enjoyed talking to him. Free Guy is in theaters and it'll be on streaming if it isn't already. And it's a Really interesting, fun take on a concept that you've probably had yourself at some point. Haven't we all wondered things like that? But as Sean says, this is the version he could do. And that was that he and Ryan Reynolds believed made sense. Please check out our other podcasts. Our weekly show drops on Thursdays. Head over to our YouTube channel. We have a video up about using miniatures and you know talking about tent poles and blockbusters and visual effects. Learning how to use miniatures and combine them with Adobe and other editing software and VFX tools is really valuable because you can get a lot of mileage 
out of the tangible realness of miniature. So check out that video. It's up on our YouTube channel. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, head over to nofilmschool.com. And thanks so much for listening.